So yeah, we, um, we spent a while on the Lord's Prayer, and I want to reorient us to the bigger picture of Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount as we continue to move through it. He's got his disciples with him on the mountain, and he's describing the character of his people, and he's describing some of the features of his kingdom. He tells his disciples, he tells his people that they are the salt of the earth. They are the salt that makes good things grow in the earth and that prevents bad things from growing in the earth. He tells them they are the light of the world, that they, they, that they, they, they shine the light on what is to be seen, Christ and his kingdom. And he's gone over the law with them. He's cleared some things up. He explains to them he has not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, but then he goes on and he unravels some of the Pharisees' uh, teachings about the law so that they can see it clearly, so that they can see it for what it really is and what it's been all along. Then he tells his disciples, don't be like those Pharisees. And the first way he tells them not to be like them is, is to not pray like them. Don't pray just to be heard praying, to be heard by people praying. Pray in secret. Your father hears you. Pray like this. And then we just spent the last seven weeks going over each of the things Jesus instructs us to pray for. So now, Jesus gives us another way his disciples are to not be like the Pharisees. He says, don't fast in order to be seen fasting. Don't do it so people will know what a holy and pious person you are. Instead, do it because you are holy. Not, not to prove to somebody else that you're holy, not so that people will think you're holy, but because you are holy. Fast. So let's read now Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'll say at the outset, um, you know, we want to be a church that celebrates godly disciplines, don't we? You know, we don't, we, we don't want to reduce the teaching of Scripture to a bunch of have-tos, Far from it. But we also don't want to toss out spiritual disciplines and, and pretend that good godly habits are legalistic. Or, or that people who are genuinely serious about their Christian walk and interested in glorifying God by the way that they live, that they're just a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees. We don't want to do that either. Right here we see an example of religious behavior. This is very religious behavior of a religious discipline that Jesus is in favor of, a proponent for, in contrast to the Pharisees, don't we? You know, it's no secret um, that one of the reasons we can see that the church in America has seemed pretty lackluster of late and um, impotent in recent generations is because there, frankly, are too few Christians who stand firm on the Word of God and commit their lives to it. And so sadly, there are 
many churches that would rather create environments that allow people to be comfortable in their ignorance and in their spiritual sloth than challenge people to live holy lives. And they'll be happy to let you stay where you are, stunted in your growth, as long as you keep showing up for the show on Sunday. It's not my responsibility to change their minds. Nobody asked me, right? But it is my responsibility to see to it this church is one where people actually grow. And y'all, all I'm saying is growing takes discipline, does it not? It takes some intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. What happens on accident in the lives of God's people is idolatry. That's what you get by default, is idolatry. And one of the ways we prevent ourselves from idolatry is fasting. It's one of the many spiritual disciplines, and it's a highly neglected one. Fasting is a part of religious devotion, and it's a practice we don't talk about a lot, or really ever. You know, we live in a time and a place where we have an overabundance of food, don't we? We're, we're rarely concerned with not having enough to eat. We're more concerned with having too much to eat. We're not concerned with a narrow variety, but being overwhelmed by so wide a variety that we actually have to think about not eating too much of certain things. Or we don't think about it at all, and our health suffers as a result. And so, yes, I confess I am embarrassed to be preaching on this today because it's an aspect of my life that intersects with an area of my life I just don't have under control. There have been seasons in my life where I have had it under strict control. And you know what? That wasn't better. It was just two extremes, extreme neglect or extreme obsession. Neither is good. Both are idolatry. You know what's good? Temperance. Temperance is good. Self-control is good. We're not to be mastered by anything or anyone but Jesus, including our appetites. So there's your heading for the sermon this morning. We are slaves to Christ, not our appetites. We are slaves to Christ, not our appetites. And our fasting proves that. That practice, that religious practice, that religious devotion of fasting, that declares that, that we are slaves to Christ and not to our appetites. So as we talk about fasting and appetites and the idolatry of even something like food, I want us to just look at two points this morning, real simple. Why fast and, and, and how, how to fast. So first, why fast? The only way I know how to get into this is to first talk about appetites generally. You know, uh, God gave us appetites. He, he gives us appetites. So are appetites bad? It really depends on the quality of the thing we have an appetite for, don't we? And the measure of control we have over that appetite. For instance, we all know we have appetites for sin. We have a big appetite for sin. But is an appetite for sex, for example, sinful? That appetite is not a result of the fall. It was built into creation. God said, be fruitful and multiply. And he gave the man and the woman the right drives and desires and parts to fulfill what he commanded. 
But where that good God-given appetite has a craving for something outside of that appetite's intended purpose, you end up in sin. So the appetite itself isn't bad, but the thing you're trying to satisfy the appetite with very well may be bad. So equally true, the measure of control over the appetite matters too. The measure of control you have over the appetite. People say there's no such thing as too much of a good thing. Yes, there is. Anytime the pursuit of that good thing becomes a God thing for you in your life, that makes it a bad thing. Wanting food is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. You know, one of the reasons God gave us appetites for food is so that we would work. You know, don't work, don't eat. Even before the fall, Adam worked in the garden, and he received the reward for his labor. Now, his labor was nothing but enjoyable. It was nothing but pure satisfaction for him. The fall messed that up for us, right? But nonetheless, he did work and he ate. Our appetite for food actually drives us to the goal God had in mind for man in the beginning. To to fill the earth and to subdue it, to be fruitful and multiply it, to tame it and fill it. To be productive in the earth and populate it. So God gave us the appetite that would ultimately lead to his glory. But what is an appetite where God does not get the glory? Idolatry. So you see it? So why should we fast? Because when we do, we communicate to God and remind ourselves that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for, to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. That's, that's what it's for. That's what the appetite's for. That's what we're for, the glory of God. Why should we fast? Because we're not animals. We're made in the image of God. And man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's it's a simple enough idea, but consider that for a minute. You you realize self-denial like this that we're describing? It makes no sense to an unregenerate person. You know, if we have appetites for food or for sex or whatever, these are appetites that are to be fulfilled. And the more, the better. That's beastly thinking. That's being a slave to appetites. Christians aren't supposed to be slaves to appetites. We're free men. We're slaves to nothing but righteousness and to no one but Christ. We're slaves to Christ and not our appetites. So we fast. When we fast, we we show that allegiance. We do it to show that we have a hunger that's stronger than even our hunger for food. We fast, or we should, in order to tame our desires so they don't get out of hand. We want the supplier more than anything that he supplies, even the best of what he supplies. We love the one who gave us the gift more than the gift itself. Who the gift comes from is what makes the gift so lovely, isn't it? There's satisfaction in the gift, but we recognize the deeper satisfaction that we have in knowing that we're in relationship with someone who loves us enough to give it to us. So when we fast, we do it to honor God and to acknowledge him not, as only, not only as the source of good things, right? We, we do that too, not only as the source of good things, but the very source of our strength. 
That's key. You think about Jesus here. He had controlled appetites, didn't he? He had controlled appetites. And that doesn't mean he ate like a bird or he only ever ordered the salad. <laughs> you know? He didn't turn his nose up at a good meal. In fact, uh, some of his critics accused him of, of being a, a glutton and a drunkard, of, of overindulgence. He ate and drank enough that his critics called him a glutton and a drunkard. He wasn't prudish about food and drink, but he wasn't controlled by them either. In fact, the way he gathered his strength for his earthly ministry was through prayer and fasting. I want to say that again because that, that's key here, okay, as we consider why we should fast. Jesus didn't gather his strength by eating and resting. He gathered his strength from prayer and fasting. And I, I think Jesus probably knows better than we do how to draw on our source of strength, don't you? The apostles took note of that. And in the first century, you see, they did big stuff after prayer and fasting. Big things tended to occur after prayer and fasting of his disciples. All right, so we're collecting some reasons here for why we should fast. We're not beasts. We're men made in the image of God for his glory. And when we fast, we declare that. Uh, we're not just obeying our impulses and urges. We're not obedient to our impulses and urges. We're obedient to him. And we recognize him as the source of our strength. We can have a false confidence in an abundance. We, we need to be aware of that. We can have a false confidence in an abundance, and we can begin to believe we're relying on the things themselves instead of the one who gave them to us. Paul talks about in uh, Philippians chapter 4, he talks about knowing need, uh, and, and knowing plenty. Nothing wrong with the plenty, right? We can be tempted in scarcity just as easily as we can be tempted in abundance. God's not against abundances. He ordained feasts. But he also calls us to be content with little when we have little. Paul says their godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're listening to the sermon this morning and thinking that, that food specifically may be an idol for you, and if that's you, you're, you have company. But if you're thinking along those lines, I want you to notice with me sort of the double-edged dilemma you have here. First, you're not struggling with being content with little. Your, your struggles with partaking of a good thing too much. Food is supposed to be simple, right? Eat to live, don't live to eat. Eat to live, don't live to eat. Uh, we do eat for enjoyment. There's a right way to do that to the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. But there's a wrong way to eat for enjoyment too. Isn't there? When we eat to find peace, when we're stressed or bored, or we're really trying to satisfy an emotional need with a physical remedy, 
when we need comfort and instead of looking to God as our source of comfort, we look to food instead. Here's how idolatry works generally, and so it's true of food too, obviously. We see, we desire, we take, and we eat. That's, that's, always, the, that's always the line of progression there. We, we see, we desire, we take, and we eat. That's what Eve did in the garden. That's how we got in this fix. She saw, she desired, she took, and she ate. We see something as desirable. We don't know if we, we might actually, we, we do know we don't need it or that we shouldn't have it. And we may even pass it up at first, right? But then we come back because we're afraid of missing out. We're just sure there was something there that was really good that we don't want to miss out on. Eve knew she shouldn't eat the fruit, but it promised so much. You will be like God. She didn't want to miss that chance. It was the lie she bought into. You know, this shows up in little ways in our lives, right? You know, if Kelly brings cupcakes to the party, you're going to have one. You might try to get as many as you can get before someone else does. You know why? Because you're afraid you're going to miss out. Miss out on something really good. We do that with everything. We desire more than just an eyeful. We desire, uh, we have a hard time passing up sales, passing up a deal. Whether we need the thing or not, we don't want to be the one that didn't get the deal. So we accumulate a bunch of stuff we don't need or want. We're afraid of missing out on pleasures we've convinced ourselves we're entitled to. We're, we're wired that way for idolatry. Fasting, y'all, is intentionally missing out. That's what it is. It's addressing that desire in us, that idolatry in us, that fear of missing out in us. It's, 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 it's taking it head on. It's intentionally missing out, sitting one out to recalibrate desire. That's why it's important to us. Sitting one out to recalibrate desire. It's a reminder we don't feed ourselves, God feeds us. And if he didn't, we'd die. The other edge of that dilemma I'm mentioning, is if food isn't idle for you, is that once you begin to practice some self-control over, over this area, over your appetite for food, and you resolve to not be controlled by it, you land in the other difficulty. Now, you've got to learn to be content with little. <laughs> so it's both sides there. You put yourself in a situation where now you have to struggle with wanting more and not having it. That's difficult too. So where do you get the strength to endure it? I already gave you the answer. Same place. Prayer and fasting. Isn't that funny? The better question is, do you believe it? Is God the source of your strength? Do you believe he can work the way he says he does to do the things he says he will do? Fasting is one spiritual discipline that declares to God we believe he can and he will. That we're reliant on him for what is needful. 
including the strength we need to exercise control over our appetites. That's why we should fast. So point number two, how? You know, just some practical stuff. How to fast? How should we do that? It's one thing to have ideas. First of all, when we talk about how to fast, the first point would be regularly. You know? There should be some regularity to it. Uh, it's not a phenomenon in the Christian life. It's expected. Jesus assumes his disciples will fast. He says there in verse 16, when you fast, not if you decide to fast, not, you know, if it suits you, if it floats your boat. There's sort of an assumption, isn't there, that that when you do this, you know, this is how you do it and how not to do it. Now, a word of caution here as we go into this, something I just want us to be mindful of. Some people take religious fasting to an extreme where it becomes almost pagan. It becomes a manipulation tool that people try to use to gain supernatural insight or to to get a peek into the spiritual realm. Don't do that. It's not a business investment. God doesn't owe you a mountaintop moment for your fasting. So don't be disappointed if your season of fasting, however long it is or however regular it is, don't be disappointed if it's not some magical mystery tour where you suddenly gain all this this clarity and and, and insight and stuff like that. He could choose to bless you extraordinarily in that way. He could. Or he could choose to just pat you on your head for your faithfulness and obedience. You have to be okay with the pat. That pat has to be okay. Don't go looking for exceptional blessings. Here's a way to put it. Don't go looking for exceptional blessings and, and walk away disappointed when you receive normative blessings. That makes sense to you? You understand what I'm saying there? Right? You can't ever go to God and walk away empty-handed. You might just need to look in your hand and smile and say thank you. <laughs> you can't go to God and walk away empty-handed. So don't be discouraged, don't be uh, disappointed if you walk away from, from a, a season of fasting with, without some sort of, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Other religions fall into the trap of using fasting as a manipulation tool, as I, as I talked about earlier. So, the, you know, they're, they're thinking they're pleasing and appeasing their gods by their self, self-deprivation. Um, you know, they think that by doing this, they're They're activating their gods to intervene on their behalf. Don't make it weird, guys, okay? Don't don't go there. Don't make it weird. That's not what we're doing. That's not why we fast. We're not trying to earn favor with God or, or earn favor with God through fasting. But at the same time, let's not disregard fasting as being unimportant, right? Uh, or, Or think that God won't honor it or use it to bless you. He will. We aren't chasing a spiritual high by fasting, but what we are doing is dedicating ourselves to God and to prayer. If you struggle to believe this, uh, repent. (laughs) Truly, though, if you struggle to believe this, uh, give it some thought. That's worth it, dedicating yourself to God and prayer. 
that all by itself, stand alone, it's worth it. Whatever you have to give up. And a lot of times, y'all, let's be honest, we don't have to give up much. It doesn't cause us great pain to stop and to devote ourselves to God. That's worth it. So when we fast, we fast regularly, and we pray while we fast, all right? So uh, those are a couple of the hows. That doesn't mean either, by the way, like, all right, well, I'm going to fast on Wednesday, so I've got to clear my schedule and stay on my knees all day, right? Don't, don't go there. That's, that's not what it means. It just means make time for prayer during your fast, okay? Fast regularly and pray more when you do fast. That's the idea. Another thing we pick up on directly from this passage about how we fast uh, is that when we fast, we said when, right, not if, that when we fast, we fast secretly, Jesus says. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't look like you're dragging tail all day so people see how hard it is and how pious you are. Don't make it noticeable at all. Wash your face, freshen up, you know, look sharp. Let it be between you and God, and don't let anyone else be the wiser. Now, fasting in secret, as Jesus talks about, that doesn't mean it's never appropriate to fast corporately, right? That it wouldn't be appropriate for us to fast together uh, as a church. The people of Israel did that. We see that Christians did that down throughout history. Uh, So fasting secretly means don't tempt yourself with having the approval or praise of man. But it doesn't preclude, you know, God's people gathering together for a season for prayer and fasting. He's really on this man-pleasing thing. And man-pleasing, man-pleasing is a tricky thing. That, that's, a, that's a tricky little beast there. That's a, that's a two-sided coin. Because you, you may not be overly concerned with um, getting the approval of men. Um, but you, you don't care so much about being noticed for the good thing you're doing as much as you care that the good thing you're doing is going unnoticed, or that the good thing that you're doing is even frowned upon. You know, people, uh, you don't need people saying good things about the thing you're doing, but it bothers you when they say bad things. And you may have people in your family or people that you know that might be aware of your practice of fasting, and uh, they, they disapprove of it openly. So the question is, what's that doing in your heart? Right? How is that affecting your motivations for fasting? That, that can creep in there too. Generally, I, generally speaking, it's a good idea to keep it to yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. But it's not, we, we could do it together, y'all. And I think we probably should. You realize throughout history you see examples it's not guaranteed again it's not a manipulation tool but you realize that that, that sometimes when God's people have done this revival has happened was that a result of of God and his providence or a result of God's people in prayer and fasting yes haven't we talked about that before recently how God providentially uses the prayers of his people uh, to, to bring about his will in the earth So Jesus' word of caution here is really against letting other people see and know what you're doing because it's a caution against pride. One of the rewards of fasting is self-mastery. And that's good. But our goal in fasting isn't self-mastery. You see? 
It's not a triumph of the will or applauding ourselves for being so disciplined. The goal is giving ourselves over to the reign of God in a very real and tangible way that we can feel and experience. Fasting, then, is submission, not rebellion. So don't be intoxicated with the idea of self-mastery and find yourself stumbling into pride. I'll confess here and now. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. That looked real good on the outside. Not so good on the inside. And then God did a renovation on the inside and made me fat and old on the outside just to humble me. So here I am, that's where I am currently, trying to be balanced, as God's word is balanced. It's hard. Self-mastery is a good thing until you start making it a God thing and getting puffed up with pride, and so that's why Jesus tells us to practice this in secret. Fasting doesn't always have to be food either. As we talk about how, how to fast, we can fast from any good thing. You heard me talking with the children a moment ago about that, right? Any physical blessing that threatens to become your first love, you can fast from those things. How about social media? What's your relationship to that? Are you glued to a screen? Yeah. How about the news? Right? I know people who are addicted to the news. They, they, they think they can't live without it, and they can't see it's making them miserable either. <laughs> How about sports? Sports is one, right? Uh, do you have to know every score of every game and every ranking of every so-and-so and where who's going? It's not all a bad thing. It's just, you know, is it consuming a part of you that belongs to God? Is it drawing your attention? Is it drawing your heart uh, away from where it should be pointed? then take a break. Take a break and offer that part to God. Take a break from the blessing so it doesn't become a master. And devote the time you would have spent enjoying that thing, enjoying that blessing, to enjoying God in prayer and recognizing him as your only master. That's the way it works. The reality is when we fast, we're forced to ask ourselves questions that we, we generally try to distract ourselves from most of the time. It forces us to ask the question, do I really love God? Do I love him enough to not eat? Do I love him enough to put my phone down? Do I love him enough to turn off the TV and give him my attention? Fasting makes us ask the question, am I content with his gifts or do I really live in such a way that proves I have an insatiable appetite for more? More of whatever it is. Another thing fasting does is it makes us consider what we do with our unhappiness. It exposes our sin of, of wanting to find things that we can rely on that aren't God. A couple of practical notes on, on how to fast as we wrap up. How about how long? How long should I fast? 
I don't know. Ask God. 24 hours? Maybe a meal or two? Yeah, whatever it is, make it intentional, not an accident. Okay, don't make it a diet. You can benefit from the dieting aspect, and you may choose uh, to fast as a form of weight control, but don't, don't, don't conflate the two. Okay? Uh, don't check off spiritual fasting um, when, when you've only done it for the physical health benefit. Now, I'm not saying your spiritual fasting can't count toward your, your, uh, your, your weight loss. I am saying your weight loss fasting doesn't count for your spiritual fasting. You see the difference? Spiritual fasting aims at the goal of devotion to God and makes him, not you, the chief recipient. It's about devotion to God. You do it to bless God, not to withdraw a blessing, even though we know we, we will receive one. And I'll just say this, super practical point, you know, take it or leave it if it matters to you, um, you know, just have having had direct experience working with literally hundreds of people in the field of health and wellness in my past, um, a, a lot of people experience headaches, right, when they try to fast. Raise your hand if you've done that. You, you, you fasted and you're like, ah, I can't do this, right? And so we either, uh, we either use that as an excuse to not obey this, or we wear the pain as a badge of honor, like there's something noble about that suffering. Don't do that. Nine times out of ten, those, those headaches that we all experience and are familiar with uh, are the result of dehydration. And simply due to a lack of minerals in your body that prevent you from being able to, uh, to, to hydrate on a cellular level, even though you're drinking lots of water. So, unless you're intending to fast from food and water, get some electrolytes in you and you'll be fine. Those headaches will go away. It's hard to pray with a splitting headache, isn't it? I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. A closing thought here as we wrap up talking about fasting. Before Jesus died, he promised his disciples that he would eat with them again. That, that meal he was referring to was the wedding feast of the Lamb. There'll be no hunger There'll be no pain, no sorrow, there'll be no hunger. We won't crave anything because all of our desires will be completely filled in him. And yet, we will feast in the presence of our Savior. And then we'll really know what satisfaction feels like. And you know, until then, our Savior's fasting. You realize that? He said at the Last Supper, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's holding out for something he believes is worth holding out for. And you know what it is? The intimacy he'll share with you, with all of us, around his table. Are we, willing, are we willing to periodically hold out for something it is we believe is better? To intentionally sit one out. To intentionally miss out. Sit one out to recalibrate our desires. To reorient our thinking. And to check our own hearts. To identify those idols that we need to pray God destroy in our lives. 
so that we can offer ourselves fully to him in every area of life. So there you go. That's fasting. Let's pray. Father, you're the one who gives life and sustains life. You're the one who brings life out of death by giving us your son. May we find the hope, assurance, and the abundant satisfaction offered to us in him. May we look to you as the source of our strength and not be tempted to believe we rely on anything but you. May we know contentment in little and temperance in much. Lord, you are gracious to us. You always command what you will and give what you command. You are a gracious God who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever. Lord, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, hoping by the power of your Spirit to become more like him. Amen.